for just being amazing as always. So good. Well, uh, welcome to The Vine. Uh, my name's Andrew, one of the pastors here, and uh, uh, there's probably a lot of you that are visiting with us this weekend, and we are so, so glad that you are with us and amongst us. And I know there's loads of people in the overflow right now, so I wanna just say hi to everybody in the overflow. Thank you guys for being willing to sit in the overflow, uh, and then everybody that's sitting on the floor and everything crazy. Anyway, we're so glad uh, you guys are here. Uh, a number of years ago, I was invited to uh, speak at a church overseas, and uh, uh, this happens uh, a number of times for me, and it's always a great privilege uh, to travel overseas, to speak in other churches and other contexts. Um, but every time I get invited to speak overseas, I know that I, as well as being excited, I know that I'm also going to be exhausted because these trips are like full on. From the moment that the pastor from that church picks you up at the airport to the moment that they drop you back at the airport, like three days later, you are on 24-7. It is crazy. They expect you not just to speak in their church, but they expect you to sort of pastor all their people, pray for everybody, solve all the problems of the church, work out why their finances are not right, visit with their eldership and solve all the problems there and strategically believe for everything. You're supposed to have a prophetic word for every single person in the church. The whole thing is crazy and it is a great privilege. Honestly, one of the great privileges to go there. I love what I do and when I get invited to go do that, I'm very excited about it, but I recognize that I have to manage my energy. If I don't manage my energy, I know that about a day and a half into the trip, I will hate everybody in that church. I will be exhausted. Anyone here not like people when you're tired? You know, when you get tired, right? You, you get a little prickly with people. And I realize that I'm going overseas to this church. I'm representing the vine, right? I don't want to be that guy like two days in who really doesn't like the people around them and is getting a little prickly with people. So I have to like make sure that my energy is well managed on these trips. Well, on this particular trip I went to, the church was larger than the vine. They had five services on a Sunday. I was speaking at all five services pretty much back to back. Uh, after the third service, I was tired. After the fourth service, I was a little bit wobbly. After the fifth service, I couldn't even remember my name, okay? <laughs> I was really exhausted. And of course, it was, after every service, they expected me to be on the prayer line, so I'd go down the front, I'd be on the prayer line. And it was after the fifth service, I'm on the prayer line, after I've just preached, there's a crowd of people that are waiting to get prayed for me, that the most awkward thing that perhaps has ever happened to me happened. There was this guy on the prayer line waiting for me to pray with him. He comes forward, and, and as usual with these sort of things, you know, we introduce ourselves and stuff, and I say to him the thing that I say to pretty much everybody when I'm ever on a prayer line, I say to him, what is it that you would like me to pray for you for today? You know, what is it that I can pray for you about? This was his response. He said this, you're a man of God. I don't need to tell you what my needs are. God knows. Just ask God and he will tell you. I want to see what you will say. <laughs> Five services, okay? I'm exhausted. And I don't like people at this point, all right? And here's this guy, and I tell you what, this happens more than you might think, more than you expect. This guy comes up to me. He's basically like, I want to see whether you're really a pastor. I want to see if you really hear from God. Okay, I know what my needs are. God knows, but do you know? <laughs> you're going to have to pray about it. And when you pray about it, we'll find out if you hear from the Spirit of God. 
By the way, if you're taking notes, write this down. Us pastors do not like people like this, okay? <laughs> this feels like you're put under a spiritual test. It feels like they're testing you to see whether you're truly a person of the Spirit. And so this guy is speaking like this. By the way, this is on the same par as the other pet peeve that us pastors have, and that's this. Pastor, you prayed for me seven years ago, and I've never seen you ever since. Do you remember what you prayed for? Here's the answer, no, we don't remember. We're like vessels, the spirit comes in and out of us. We are not spiritual data cards that are storing everybody's spiritual issues for decades. That doesn't happen, okay, anyway. So this guy is like testing me. I'm, my attitude, I, like I am using all the remaining reserves of energy that I have to try to be calm and nice and polite to this guy. So I said, okay, yeah, sure, let's pray. So I put my hand on his shoulder, we start to pray. And I, I, I say to God, God, you know I'm tired. And you know my attitude really is not good right now. And, but I come to you, and if you have something you want to say to this guy, I, speak to me and I'll, I'll, I'll pray over him. Well, as God often does with me, uh, he gave me a, a visual, a visual something. I, I often see things when I'm praying for people, and I, I saw something, and I, I begin to pray this over this guy. About a minute into praying it, I realize that what I'm praying is not very positive. It's not very sort of happy. It's actually kind of a hard thing that I was praying for him about. And, and I, I kept praying, and I kind of lent into what I sensed God was saying. And, and as I prayed on, I, I, I could tell that the prayer was just a little bit heavy. It was a little bit, it wasn't mean, but it was just like the things that I, I felt like God was saying to him were not necessarily easy things to hear. And at the end of the prayer, I, I, I said amen, and I opened my eyes, and I was met with this face. <laughs> and the guy, the guy says these words to me. He goes, uh, okay, uh, thank you. And then he just walks off. And I'm left there like, that is the most awkward experience I have ever had. Well, six months later, I get an email. And the email is from this guy. And he's managed to track down my email. And in the opening line of the email, I wonder if you can imagine what it said. It said this, Pastor, you prayed for me six months ago. I wonder if you remember what you prayed for me about. The irony is, in this case, I did actually remember what I prayed for this guy about because it wasn't very nice, right? And he starts to tell me in this email, he's like, you know, you prayed for me and you said these things and I was actually really offended in the moment and I didn't like what you said and I walked away and out of the church that day and I was angry, I was angry at you, I was angry at God and he, anyway, he just, this was not a pleasant email up to this point, right? And I was like, okay, great. And then he said, but you know, God kept speaking to me about those words that you said over the coming weeks and, and I, I kept having to bring myself back to prayer uh, with those words and I and I realized that those words that God was saying to me on that day were designed to uproot some of the deepest stuff that was in my life. And he, he went on to tell me some of the deep sins and, and the brokenness, uh, addictions, and some things that he, he had in his life. 
Um, and as the email went on, he said, you know, I was, I was able, it took me about six months, uh, but I've been able to reach out to my wife. It turned out that him and his wife had been separated for some time, and he reached out to his wife, and he repented with her and apologized for some things, uh, and he said, we've gotten back together, and we're trying to make marriage work again, and I just wanted to let you know that although I treated you rudely in the moment, that those things that you said disrupted stuff. He goes, he actually said this, he said, I didn't want to hear what you said, but it disrupted some things in me that needed to get disrupted. And he said, I just want you to know that I'm in a better place now. I wonder if you've ever experienced God saying something to you that is not easy for you to hear, that is not comfortable to hear. I wonder if any of us have ever experienced when, when God speaks to us in a way that kind of, you know, just comes in and disrupts some things in us. It's not easy, is it? I think as Christians, we often think that when God speaks to his people, he's always gonna speak super positive things. That when God speaks to his people, it's always gonna be kind of a feel-good thing. It's always gonna make me feel good. It's always gonna be great. It's always gonna be wonderful. And I think us Christians get so conditioned into thinking that that's always how God speaks, that when God shows up and says something that's slightly different to what we expected or says something that we weren't quite uh, kind of wanting to hear or whatever it might be, we often, as Christians, I think, reject that. We, we think, oh, that's probably not God. That can't be God. God wouldn't say something like that. And we kind of push away from it. And I think we have this problem as Christians sometimes because we're always expecting God to show up a certain way but when he shows up in a different way, we really struggle with that. Am I the only person here who struggles with that? I am, I guess, the only person here <laughs> who struggles with that. I'm assuming that more of you also do. Here's the reality that I think I've come to learn about God that I, I think is actually a very important thing for us to grasp, and it's this, that sometimes when God speaks, the very thing you need to hear the most is often the very thing you want to hear the least. Come on, church. So often when God speaks to us, the very thing we, we need to hear the most is often the very thing we want to hear the least. That actually is a really good summary of the first Christmas that happened some 2,000 years ago. See, when Matthew and Luke present the birth story of Jesus, they present it in a raw and very real way. And yes, it's a story of incredible moments, a story of choirs of angels and God's birth, the incarnation and the glory and the peace that is exclaimed during that time. But if the story of Jesus' birth is anything, it's a story of a God who speaks and a God who longs to speak to his people. But if you trace through the story, you'll see very quickly that so often the things that God speaks to the characters in the Christmas story is not the things that they were expecting to hear. It's not the things that they even perhaps wanted to hear. Take Zechariah, for example. God shows up in an angel through Gabriel and says to him, hey, because of your unfaithfulness, you're now not gonna be able to talk until your wife Elizabeth gives birth. Take Joseph, for example. 
Joseph, having discovered that his unmarried, pregnant fiance is now pregnant with a child that came from the Holy Spirit, and he understands the shame that will come upon him and upon Mary, and so he's making plans in his mind to do the right thing for her and for him, and which is to separate their relationship, and God steps in and says, no, you can't separate that relationship. You're actually going to have to walk into that shame, walk into that pain, because I've got a bigger thing that's happening here. Well, think about the shepherds. The shepherds who were faithfully looking after their sheep, which was their livelihood, God shows up in the form of angels and says, leave your livelihood behind and go into Bethlehem. Just drop everything that you've worked hard for because we've got a new thing that we want to happen in your life. Isn't it so interesting for us that that we have a plan A that we think is our plan A But so often God comes and says, there's actually a B, C, and a D that is really the thing that's going to set you alight. Really the thing that's going to make you as a person. Really the thing that's going to flourish you and bring you into the fullness of who you are. I mean, just think about Mary. God shows up to Mary and says some pretty crazy things. Things that she must have been so confused by, so overwhelmed by. Not things that she was expecting God to say to her. In fact, I think if Mary had the choice, she would have chosen not to be in a part of the whole Christmas story in the first place. Imagine the shame that she had to hold. Imagine the, the months that she had to go through where people thought all this stuff about her. If she had the choice, she probably would have said, I don't even want to go anywhere near that story or that thing whatsoever. And I think this is fascinating. That in the heart of the Christmas story, you see something that is so important for all of us to understand about how God works in our lives. And it's this. That your personal preferences and your personal choice is not always the most important things in God's mind when it comes to his leadership of your life. I know this is not the Christmas message you were hoping to hear. (laughs) But I want to encourage you to stay in with me because I think there's something important that you need to hear. Our personal choices and our personal preferences are not always God's most forefront things in his mind when he thinks about you and his leadership of his life and he sees you. He sees your future. He sees where he's leading you in his life and he says, I know what's ahead and I know all the good things. I know the bad things. I know the ugly things and you want plan A but I've got this other plan over here. Your personal preference is to go down this path but if you go down that path, I I tell you in five years time you're going to hit rock bottom but if you were to listen to me, if you were just to come with me, I've got a new path that I'm going to take you down and this is the way that will bring flourishing and growth and life to your personal choices and preferences they're important to God but they're not the most important thing to him he sees stuff that you will never see and in faithfulness and trust we are to turn to his word are are you following this but sometimes the word that God brings is challenging it's hard to hear and it comes and disrupts some things in us. Case in point is exactly what happens at the end of the Christmas story. The story that Luke is presenting to us of the birth of Jesus. He adds a very important story right at the end. It's almost like an epilogue to the story, if you will. It's the moment where Mary and Joseph, having had the child Jesus, Jesus is now eight days old. 
And from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, they, they, they make the journey from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, and they go into the temple when Jesus is eight days old, and they're carrying him in because the ritual at the time, the tradition at the time, was that faithful Jewish families would take their firstborn son and bring him into the temple to be dedicated to the Lord. And that dedication ceremony involved the act of circumcision. And so this was what Mary and Joseph were doing. They're faithful Jewish people going to the temple on the eighth day with Jesus, taking him into the temple in order for him to be dedicated and for the circumcision ceremony to take place. And when they're in the house of God, something awkward happens. A little bit like me standing in that prayer line and that man coming forward. For Mary and Joseph, something significantly awkward takes place. Let me uh, actually break this down for you from uh, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25. Everybody still okay? Do you still like me? I'm really, if you're visiting, I'm really a nice person. Trust me, I am, I am, but, but hang with us. Verse 25 of chapter 2 of the Christmas story. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. That's the Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents, that's Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was custom of the Lord, that the law required, that's the circumcision. Simeon took the baby into his arms and praised God, saying this, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Up until this point in the story, everything is going perfectly right. This is wonderful. And Luke is creating and writing this story to help you to see how amazing this is. There, there's the temple in all of its glory and beauty in the presence of God. For the very first time, the Son of God is being brought into the temple itself. There's Mary and Joseph, the faithful family, bringing their child for that dedication service. And then we're introduced to the sort of creme de la creme, Simeon. And Simeon is described by Luke in the best ways that you could ever hope to be described in the Bible. Listen to this, righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, the Holy Spirit upon him. Luke is saying, this man is righteous. He, he hasn't put a foot wrong. This man loves the Lord. He's devout in his devotion to God. He, he is waiting for the Messiah to come. He's so excited that one day God would step into the world with the Messiah. Not only that, but he's filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, I mean, you can't paint somebody in a better light than that. Righteous, devout, waiting for God, filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit takes Simeon and he walks into the temple courts and he sees the baby Jesus and he sweeps up Jesus in his arms. And, and, and notice what he says. He says, this is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. You could not say a better thing about baby Jesus. That he's going to be the, the light of revelation to the Gentiles. I love that the Christmas story brings us the picture of Jesus' mission to the world. That anyone who was not Jewish, that's the majority of us in this room, we can come to the saving knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. He's a light of revelation to all of us here in Hong Kong. But he's also the glory to Israel. 
He's also going to do all the things that the scriptures had prophesied about what was going to happen to Israel. He was going to be their Messiah and their Christ. And, and Simeon sweeps up baby Jesus in his arms and says all these incredible stuff. And you can imagine Joseph and Mary standing there and thinking, this is the most amazing thing I have ever heard. This is the best thing I could ever hear about my child. I mean, I mean, think about this from your perspective. Imagine if you had a baby and you come into the vine on a Sunday, it would be like one of the pastors from the vine sweeping up your child in their arms and going, this one, this one is destined to go to Harvard and graduate from the top of his class. <laughs> this one will be a millionaire by the age of 30, for he will become a doctor or a lawyer or a banker. This one will master the piano and the violin and will speak 13 languages. And even in your old age, you will be blessed because this one will look after you. Every Hong Kong family would say, praise the Lord. Are you with me? That's what it was like for Mary and Joseph, okay? This was their Harvard moment, all right? The child will be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. He's going to be the glory to Israel. It could not get better than this, which is why it says in the next verse, it says the mother, the child's father and mother uh, marveled at what was said about him. The word marveled there means they rejoiced. They, they were in wonder. They were in awe. This was the most amazing thing they have ever heard. And right now, Luke is basically saying, it can't get better. Isn't God great? Isn't he saying nice things? And then Simeon opens his mouth again. And then he puts Jesus to one side and he turns to Mary. And I want you to hear what he says to Mary. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This was not in the Christmas script that was supposed to be the Christmas script. This wasn't quite as nice as what had just been spoken about Jesus. Simeon turns to Mary and he says some prophetic words over her that she did not want to hear, but she needed to hear. He says to her, first of all, that Jesus is going to be an absolute nightmare for you. He said, he's going to cause the rising and the falling of many in Israel and will be a sign that will be spoken against. In other words, Jesus is going to grow up and, and he's going to be a controversial figure, he's saying to Mary. He's going to cause the falling and the rising that the contents of people's hearts are going to be revealed and no one likes the contents of their heart to be revealed. And some people will rise with Jesus. So some people will find their greatest life in relationship with him. But there are others who will reject him, who will not believe him, who will turn their backs on him. Others who will actually speak against him. And, and, and this Jesus, he's going he's gonna to say some things. I mean, he's going to come and he's going to say some things that you, Mary, as his mother, you're going to be like, oh my goodness, I can't believe he just said that. This is not going to be an easy future for you, Mary. And God so loves Mary in this moment. So, I want you to see this. So loves Mary 
but sees her future and knows it's going to be hard, knows that raising the Son of God is not going to be easy. And so out of his love for her, he wants to prepare her and mold her and shape her into the woman that she needs to become so that she can be the the mother to the Son of God. And so he brings a word that she may not want to have heard, but she needed to hear in order to become the woman God wanted her to become. I mean, Jesus, can you imagine what Jesus is about to do. He's about to say things like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of my kingdom. That one got most of his followers to leave him. He would say to the religious authorities of the day, you brood of vipers, you whitewashed tombs. He would say to his disciples, the followers, he would say, unless you pick up your cross, unless you die, basically, you can't follow me. He would actually say to his best friend, he would call his best friend Satan. This is not how to win friends and influence people. And then Simeon says this. He says, a sword will pierce your own soul too. He's not speaking, of course, of a literal sword. He's not speaking of her death in the future. He's speaking about her emotions. He's speaking about how hard it's going to be for her And that if she's not prepared for the reality of of the the chance and the choices and the things, there's one point Jesus is going to, in front of his mother, say, my mother and father is not biological. My mother and father is anyone who follows after my father. Mary is going to have a hard path. And God doesn't, doesn't hold back from helping her to see that there's some tough times ahead. There's a sword that's going to feel like it pierces your soul. It's going to be difficult. And God is saying this because he's like, I I, I love you so much that I'm going to say the very things to you that you need to hear. Even as you're holding an eight-day-old child in your hands, the future ahead for him. He is going to be the savior of the world. He is the light of revelation to the Gentiles. He is the glory to Israel. You are going to have the joy of holding him. But you're also going to feel the pain that no parent wants to feel. And that is you're going to watch your child die. And God has so much love for Mary that he's willing to speak a hard word. God has so much love for you. God sees everything that is ahead of you. God loves you so much that he's also willing at times to come and speak over you and to help perhaps you to see that there are some things that might need to change in your life or perhaps tell you that there are some things coming up that you need to get ready for and prepare for because if you're not, it's gonna be overwhelming and it will feel like a sword has pierced your soul too. I think sometimes as Christians, we think that when we come to Christ Jesus, then everything's gonna be absolutely perfect. The Christmas story shows us a different thing. And of course, Jesus is our life. And the wonderful thing that we celebrate at Christmas time is the arrival of our Savior and our Messiah, that when we're in relationship with him, our sin is taken care of, forgiven. We're released and, and filled to the fullness of God, that the same spirit that raised Jesus is found in us, and that we are found into flourishing fullness of life, that we can know the fullness of peace, shalom, and that we'll have eternal life with him. There is so much good news in the gospel, so much there, and God so wants all of that for you that he's sometimes willing to speak something 
that is not going to be easy for you to hear to ensure that you remain on the path that he has for you to be on. See, Jesus is not afraid to speak a a disruptive word to your perfect world if your perfect world is perfectly misaligned to his perfect will. He's not afraid to do that. And it seems weird, doesn't it, on Christmas Eve that, that this would be a part of the Christmas story. But I think it's a part of the Christmas story because God is revealing his heart to his people. I'm so passionately in love with you. And I so passionately want the best for you. That is there, if there is anything in your life that is misaligned, I have the grace and the courage to lead you on a different path. I don't know about you, but I've, uh, I've had the disruptive word of God into my life many times over my life. I remember when I uh, first uh, quit my job, I was in banking here. I was one of those kids that was, you know, the banker. I wasn't a millionaire by 30, but I was a banker. And, um, and I felt God calling me out of that marketplace world into being a pastor. And so I remember quitting my job and uh, moving with my family to New Zealand to go to Bible school. And I remember the first month in Bible school, I felt so excited. I felt so excited about what my future was. I could not wait to become a pastor. I could not wait to become a preacher. I knew that God had called me to preach and I was really excited to have a life where I could communicate God's word to people and speak life over people. I mean, it was everything I wanted to do. And I remember in the first month of Bible school, I was setting myself ready for all the studies. I wanted to learn Greek. I wanted to learn Hebrew. I wanted to understand the Bible as best I could because I wanted to be the best preacher of God's word that I could. And in the first month, I said to God, I said, God, would you speak to me a word about my preaching gift? And I was expecting that God would say, you're awesome, Andrew. You're the best ever. You're the best. I, can't, I see your future. You're going to be the city apostle of a church called Divide in Hong Kong. And it's going to be amazing. And there's going to be so many people on Christmas Eve that not only are you going to be able to fit into the building, and it's going to be great. <laughs> I was expecting a word along those kind of lines. But God said to me, you really want me to speak to you about your preaching gift? And I was like, yeah. He's like, go to Amos chapter 8. So I went to Amos chapter 8, and here's what I read. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or of thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. I had asked God to speak to me about my preaching gift, and he brings me to this passage where he's like, Andrew, you need to understand that in your life, if you don't make some changes, a famine is coming on you, and that famine will be on hearing the word of God. And you need to understand that what makes a preacher is not how they speak the words of God, but how they hear the words of God. I am nothing if I can't hear the words of God. I am the worst pastor ever. I have nothing to say on this stage week in and week out if I can't hear the words of God. If I can't receive and hear something and do my best to package it and bring it to you, if I can't do that, then, then, then this is absolutely useless. 
And, and I sat there under this idea that God's saying, you really want me to speak about your preaching gift? Here's what you need to hear. It's not what you want to hear, Andrew, but here's what you need to hear. A famine is coming on your life where you will be completely useless, no matter how much Bible knowledge you have, no matter how much Greek and Hebrew you might know, completely useless, unless you change some things in your life. There's some stuff in your heart, Andrew, that you need to deal with, and if those things don't get dealt with, I will block your ears and you won't hear my word. And this led me on a difficult six-month journey of dealing with some really important things in my soul and my heart that needed to be dealt with. Things like pride. Things like arrogance in my call in life. Things like thinking I'm better because I'm in Bible school than in the marketplace. Things that were ugly in me. Other things that I don't want to tell you about. And I went through a six-month journey of having to bring those things to the Lord and have him deal with me in so that I could even think about being in the place that I'm in right now and doing what I'm doing with you right now. And every single time that I prepare a sermon here at the Vine, God breathes over me and says, don't forget Amos 8. This has been a disruptive word for me that has messed me up inside for years and years and years and by God's grace has enabled me to hopefully stand in front of you and say some things at times that are helpful to you. Mary. Mary had this future ahead of her that God could see and so he came in the, in the gentleness of this amazing man Simeon and said some things to her that were not easy to hear. Some things that messed some things up inside of her. God could see what my future was as a young 30-year-old wondering what was going on in life. He could see what was gonna happen for me and he said, you will be a disaster for those people in Hong Kong unless you first deal with this. He so loved me and you that he was willing to disrupt and make a mess of some things in my life. And what you need to understand is that God doesn't just come into mess, Sometimes he creates mess. And he creates a mess sometimes by bringing a word that is designed to disrupt some faulty old ways of thinking in you so that you would be brought into new and transformative ways of being. That's actually the Christmas story. That Jesus was willing to disrupt this world willing in the incarnation to come and stir some things up so that the world would get a vision of a life that is so much greater and so much better than the one that was currently being experienced. The point of Christmas, the point that Jesus has come is so that the world would know that there is an alternative way and is the Savior, one that can set us free, one that forgives sins, one that changes us, and we need Jesus to come in to our perfect little worlds and mess some things up sometimes so that we would come to a place where we would truly worship him. My heart for you is that you would think about it this way, and this is perhaps the more positive way to think about it. If you really want to grow as a person in 2024, the greatest Christmas gift you can give yourself is an open and receptive heart to the correction and discipline of God in your life. And I know that's not the 
Christmas Eve message you were hoping to hear. But I do believe it's the Christmas Eve message that God wants you to hear. If you took that seriously in 2024, you will have your greatest maturing growth that you have ever experienced. And it's not that God is going to say those kinds of things all the time to us. Of course, God so often and normally and usually speaks words of life and hope. But let's not close our hearts off to the truly transformative moments where he puts his little finger on something and says, let's go on a journey here for a little while. And let's actually allow this thing to get healed and renewed and redeemed for you. My prayer for us as a church as we head into the new year is that we would have a heart like Samuel in the Old Testament who walked into the presence of God and said this, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Tomorrow, we're going to give you a really positive, happy message on Christmas Day. (laughs) Today, my prayer is that you listened. Should we pray? Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful for all these amazing people in this room and the overflow around the building right now. Father, I'm thankful that they are so hungry to come to worship you on Christmas Eve, that they're willing to stand and sit sit in the aisles, sit on the stairs. Lord, we honor everybody in this room. We're so grateful for the community that you've built here at the Vine. And Father, we thank you for Christmas and the the real Christmas story, the original one 2,000 years ago. And And we thank you that Luke included a story like this, a story that perhaps is different from Uh, some of the other things we see in the Christmas story. A story where Mary sits under a challenging prophetic word from God. And Father, you speak so often words of life and hope and truth. And sometimes you speak those words in ways that is designed (coughs) to mess up our perfect worlds. Particularly when we're misaligned to your will. Father, I pray. I pray by your Holy Spirit that people here would know the love of God seen in the beauty and the wonder of a child born in Bethlehem. That people in this room would know the call that's upon them. That through relationship with Jesus, they can experience the greatest flourishing that they will ever experience. And that everybody in this room would also know the openness of their hearts to whatever it is that God wants to say to them. Father, you know our best far better than we do. Father, we lay down our perceived perceptions and hopes and positive things that we want. Father, we ultimately want you. We want your leadership. We want your love. We want to become the people that you need us to be so that the gospel can be heard in Hong Kong like it's never been heard before. I pray this Christmas Eve, Lord, would be a turning point for some of us here. And as we go into the new year, we would go in with open and receptive hearts. And that maybe there's some words that you've been saying to us this year that we've gently put to one side. Perhaps we've been like, I don't want to deal with that. And maybe as we've unpacked this story today, the Holy Spirit has reminded you right now of some of those words that God has said to you in the past that you've either ignored or put to one side. And perhaps your Christmas gift this year 
is God just gently saying, I want to bring you back to that word. I want to bring you back to that thing. Let's talk about it. I want to heal you and restore you and redeem you. The years that the locusts have eaten from you, as Joel chapter two would say, I want to restore to you, the Lord says. Let me speak. Father, I pray that you would speak, that Lord, your church would hear, and that Lord, together we would glorify you, just like those shepherds who left behind the sheep and saw the child Jesus in the manger and went back glorifying and sharing the news of you. Lord, I pray that that would be your church at Christmas time. And Father, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name. Everyone says? Amen. 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 God bless.